Let me share with you our text today, reading from Hebrews, the uh, 13th chapter, the verses 1 through 8, and then verses 15 through 16. And if you uh, want to take out your uh, pew Bible, or if you're online and want to look online, I'm reading from the New Revised Standard Version. If you look at the pew Bible, it's on the New Testament, which is the right side of the Bible, and is page 213. So Hebrews chapter 13, the last chapter in Hebrews. Hear God's word for us today. Let mutual love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing that, some have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember those who are in prison as though you were in prison with them, those who are being tortured as though you yourselves were being tortured. Let marriage be held in honor by all, and let the marriage bed be kept undefiled, for God will judge fornicators and adulterers. Keep your lives free from the love of money, and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid, what can anyone do to me. Remember your leaders, those who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Through him, then, let us continually offer a sacrifice of praise to God that is, the fruit of lips, and confess his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. And you can leave your Bibles open if you'd like and follow along, because that's what we're going to do today. This is, uh, this is a great text for us, the church, today, as well as it was in the time that it was written. One of the things that I realized reading Hebrews is, and really just experiencing the Christian life for as long as uh, God has given me this, to live by God's ways is often countercultural. Now, you could look at the uh, parade yesterday and think, ooh, that's countercultural, but those are people having fun and enjoying the beauty of uh, creativity. And they really appreciate the city opening its arms for them. But today is a special day because this is the first Sunday in September. And our September sermon series is entitled Radical Hospitality. And we'll explore the ways that God calls us to radical love, to radical transformation, to radical joy, to radical solidarity, and then the radical welcome. Do you think it's radical? I think so. Well, let's start at the very beginning because this will build uh, each week as we go through September. Looked up in the, in the dictionary the word radical. And here's what I got. Of or going to the root or origin. Fundamental, as in a radical difference. But it can also describe favoring drastic political, economic, or social reforms, as in radical ideologies or ideas or policies. Radical has even been used to describe 
uh, certain groups of religious extremists. You've heard that on the news as well. But I grew up on the beach, and so radical to me as a teenager was a little different than this. It was used to describe bold and courageous and sometimes even risky moves on a surfboard. Have you done that? Radical. But what I realize is that fits with what we're looking at today. The author of Hebrews is calling us to be bold and courageous and sometimes even risky as we attempt great and radical things for God. In in other words, to transform the world is going to require some radical love. Amen. So chapter 13 is really a summation of all the book of Hebrews. And it's a list of, of Christian essentials for living in our community. But considering the context of the culture within which these Christians lived when Hebrews was written, and the way we live as well now in our culture, some of the faith practices we have are considered radical. To live by God's ways is often countercultural and radical. Remember the lawyer who came to Jesus and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, eternal life in that word, uh, in the word in the scriptures, can be interpreted really as, as more like instead of life that goes on and on and eternal, is a life that really matters and endures. And that's a little different definition than what we're used to. But what did the lawyer find out? The lawyer found out that he was to, uh, above everything, love God with everything that he had. And he was to love one's neighbor as oneself. Now that is radical love. So our writer in Hebrews today starts right out by saying, let mutual love continue. I like this because it presumes that in the faith community that uh, Hebrews is written to, they had been practicing this mutual love in their fellowship. So for it to continue is important. It presumes that the faith community is there and that they're practicing radical love. And that's the first essential to radical hospitality. This love is practiced with family and with those in our community, but also with the neighbor and with the stranger. The Greek word is phileos, or phileos. And when I talked with our uh, friend on the street yesterday from Philadelphia, it made me realize that that's the base uh, root word for the city, Philadelphia. It means brotherly love, sisterly love, the kind of care and concern we have for each one in our community. Love is the foundation for us to grow in faith. So to practice this radical love, Hebrews says not to neglect to show it. So it's not just something we wish, it's the action we have in our community and beyond. And he also says, remember, do not neglect to show and then to remember It's powerful when we look at ways that we're going to practice radical love in our community. Because, he says, for in so doing, 
Some have entertained angels without knowing it. Which reminds me, and you know this, the story of Abraham and Sarah in the book of Genesis. Abraham and Sarah were nomadic people. They had their tent up, and one day, three strangers came to the tent. And Abraham jumped up and greeted them. And he provided great hospitality for them. He asked them to stay and to spend the night. And he gave them food, and they opened their love to them. And what happens? We know that when they're ready to leave, they put a blessing on Sarah. And they tell her this great news. Sarah, you're going to have a child. And that's so radical at their age. What can Sarah do but laugh? It's a radical laugh. I love that. Remember and do not neglect to show love and hospitality to strangers. I remember, uh, well, I'll, I'll tell you this next story in just a minute, but it's a struggle now when we read what he says next. Don't neglect to show hospitality to those who are in prison. And remember those that are even being tortured for their faith as if you were in prison, I was in prison, or we were being tortured for our faith. When this great good news is written, you could be thrown into prison or tortured for your faith just because you confess Jesus as Savior. And family members had to take food and other resources to their loved ones who were in prison or that were being tortured, which was really a risky practice because if their loved ones were put in prison for their faith, imagine your family coming to feed you and to take care of you and the jailers thinking, this person's a Christian too. So you risk life and limb showing radical hospitality and love to those who had been incarcerated. Now, I have a funny story. Well, it turned out to be funny, but it wasn't at the beginning. You know that my wife, Sandra, is an elder in the United Methodist uh, North Georgia Conference here. And a few years ago, she was serving in a church in the area, in the metro area. And she decided one day she was going to, uh, she had been counseling with a young woman in her church who had addiction, drug addiction problems. And she had been arrested and incarcerated. And so Sandra said, I'm going to go over to the jail and uh, see our parishioner. So she drove over to DeKalb Jail. She rode up the elevator. And when she got there, the jailers started looking her over. And they stopped her. And they said, wait a minute. Women aren't pastors. What are you doing here? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, <laughs> Sandra's from Texas, and sometimes she gets this Texitude. And I was afraid I might have to, you know, an attitude, but she's from Texas. So I, I thought I might have to go see her and bail her out of jail. This is what happened. They uh, accused her. One of, the, one of the jailers said, you're too pretty to be a pastor. We think you're just one of her drug-dealing friends. Show us your credentials. 
Well, she had her name badge on that said the name of the church and Reverend Sandra Jones, and she had her business cards that gave the address of the church. It wasn't acceptable, so they refused her admission to go see her parishioner. Well, you can imagine she was upset, so she went out and got on the elevator. When she walked in the elevator, the doors opened, she walked in, she saw a pastor of the Baptist church, and she said, can I ask you something? He said, sure. She said, how did you get in to see your people here at the jail? And he said, oh, the credential thing, right? And she said, yes, they've refused me. I don't know what kind of credentials you were talking about. I called the bishop and I called our conference office. They said, we don't give, I mean, you have your elder credentials, you have your uh, diploma. And he said, I've got the answer. He said, I did the same thing to me. I went back to the church. I took my diploma off the wall. I reduced it to an unreadable size. I laminated it. I stuck a pin on it and stuck it to my lapel. They let me right in. So, you know what she did? Went back to the church, took her elder's credentials, reduced it to uh, the smallest size. It was hardly readable. And she laminated it, stuck it below her name tag. Never had a problem after that. You could call that harassment, or you could call it persistence. And that's what our scripture is about today. Radical love persists in sharing the love of Christ with those that are maybe hard to reach, but never gives up when the need is there. God's love sometimes requires high risk on the one who's expressing that love to everyone. Mutual love is not accomplished alone. Just like one pastor sharing with another pastor, here's how you get through the, past the jailers to see your parishioner. We are held in mutual accountability and love as a people of faith. And that allows us to practice this radical mutual love outside this place as well as inside this place. There are always strangers in our midst. Wherever that midst is, God is present. And the Holy Spirit gives us the courage and the radical love to show His love to everyone, no matter what the circumstance is. The Bible is replete with reminders for us to take care of the poor and the widow and the stranger in our midst. And that's what Christians are about when we show radical love, about going and doing good, caring for society's castaways, seeking justice for those who are marginalized, working for the good of our community. Radical love also, the author says, applies to the marriage covenant and to how we treat wealth. Now that's another whole sermon that we could share with one another today. But let me say this. Appeals to chastity and warnings against the love of money are staples of the first century church. And that's why when the author of Hebrews is 
telling us how we should live in Christian community, why those two things would be brought up especially. And the world is watching us who are labeled Christians to see if we walk the talk. And that's a challenge today because our culture says, look, just blend in, just get along, just uh, compromise your morals. You don't need to be Jesus to everybody. After all, we live in a a world that some people just reject Jesus. So let it go. And just huddle in your little mass at church. And don't worry about those outside the doors. It's tempting to all Christians. But that's not the radical love that Christ calls us to. Now this I will say. Marriage should be honored by all. And fidelity in marriage is to be practiced by all married couples. And infidelity and the love of money are impediments to making mutual love the hallmark of the Christian community. Now I know there are times when to stay in a marriage for many reasons is not what God honors for us. But we should never think about that before we take our vows. And we love those even who have experienced difficulty in their marriage relationships and their uh, love relationships in life. So this next one makes all of us cringe. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Remember the TV show that came on a while back? It's been a while. Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. I watched it. (laughs) Sandra and I watched it. We wanted to see how the other side lives. (laughs) Uh, And then we realized we live a whole lot better as ministers than most of the world lives. And what those few people who have obtained such money are able to do with it is amazing to me. And we have a curiosity from time to time. But that should not be our goal in life, to live like the rich and the famous. Can we trust God enough to take hold of our finances and our relationships and get rid of this insatiable American need for more money? Can we let God remove our love for things only money can buy? Now, I will add this. If you have wealth, that's not a sin. Remember, the author says it's the love of money. God does not allow idols or false gods ahead of God. If you follow the Ten Commandments, which we do, there shall be no other gods and no idols before me, God. So it's the love that becomes an idol, and we lose our souls trying to achieve more and more in the world's eyes. It is possible for us to be content because God has promised us that He will be with us, and He will always watch over us, and He will take care of us, and we never have to worry about that. And we have one another to lift us up and to support us. Some people see money as a thing 
just to be used. It really has no power over them at all. But there are others who feel like money it has a spirituality. And it can take hold of a person and cause them to deny God in their life and live and worship money. In other words, it becomes a spiritual thing. Principalities and powers, Paul talked about. Practicing contentment then, according to the author of Hebrews, is the spiritual practice that we can use to make sure money is in the place that God wants it to be in in our lives. So we do practice this spirituality that is content with the love that God has given us and with the people that God puts in our life every day. There's a contentment that says, I am thankful to God for God's love, no matter what my station is in life. So God's proper perspective is sometimes radical to our thinking. It's hard, and we admit that, to live this way in a culture and a society that wants us to live different ways, that wants us to fit in. And I don't want to pick on the sports heroes and the Hollywood stars and the other idols that we have in life, but folks, sometimes they fall prey to wanting more and more money. And we've all thought about, why don't we pay teachers as much as we pay our sports idols? To the point where we're really shocked when there's a Hollywood star or a, a sports idol who doesn't succumb to the temptation and who gives generously to support hospitals and learning institutions. And God bless them. God bless them because the temptation is great for them to sell out to the love of money. Above all, we are looking for role models. And the author of Hebrews says this, if you're looking for a true role model to what God wants for us to do to practice mutual love and radical love in our world, remember your leaders. Those who spoke the word of God to you, he says. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. So if you're looking for that way to live, look to your leaders. And above all, above all, because we know that even some of us as leaders fail. We are only human as well. But above all, he says, look to Jesus. Jesus is our role model. Jesus is our Savior. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Praise God. Praise Jesus. Now, the reason we've added 15, verse 15 and 16, if you want to look at those again, is because I call it the perfect trinity. <laughs> Three ways for us to live out God's call of radical hospitality and discipleship in our lives. Listen to what Hebrews says here. Let us continually offer a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips 
and confess his name. Now, the term sacrifice and fruit of lips may not be uh, something that we realize or pull up when we think about worship. But in the Hebrew tradition, these two actually meant the true way to worship God. With our lips, the fruit of our lips, what we say, and the sacrifice that we give. They were the expressions in worship. So praise should continuously be on our lips. Now you've heard that, so you understand how that connects. God's radical love is for all of us, and it should produce within each of us the fruit of praise that we give to God and God alone. So we should constantly be offering praise to God, our Savior. Whether we're walking and doing exercise, whether we're reading a book, whether we're in worship together, when practicing hospitality to our neighbors, we are constantly offering praise to God. It's what we do in our daily life and should reflect God's love for others. Now, we are human, I said, and, but God has replaced, God has put in our, each of our hearts, our spirits, a hunger to please God. And our worship pleases God. It is an acceptable sacrifice to love God in this way. And thank God that we don't worship God alone. The way God put it in place was here we are, the church, here we are, the community. Here we are offering our praises to God, and we have support from one another. When I was a teenager, there was great temptation to become one of the cool kids and to do the things that cool kids do. But I, I didn't want to do that. I didn't, first of all, I didn't want to disappoint my parents because whenever I left the house, my dad would say, Remember, you're a Jones. Whatever that meant, it meant don't mess up. Because if you go to jail, I'm leaving you there. Yeah. The temptation was to do that. I, I chose not to, and therefore I was rejected as a cool kid. But you know who I had that gave me affirmation? My youth group at church. From the nursery all the way through my teenage years, the fellowship of Christ in the community of faith gave me my identity. I didn't need to find it outside of God's love. Amen. Praise God for that. So the first essential for the Christian is worship. It should be on our lips, in our spirits, constantly worshiping God through prayer, through singing. And here's the second one. Doing good. And wow, First Church, I've only been here two months. And you have such a holy passion for doing good, and not just in church, but in our community. You've covered our city in prayer. You've served those in need, and on a daily basis. You feed the hungry, clothe the naked, advocate for the least and the most vulnerable of our neighbors. All I can do is say, wow, what passion you have. You give of your time. You sacrifice your talent, your money to make a real difference in this city. And let me tell you, you are making a real difference 
in this city. And we don't do it for our glory. We do it glory to God. Glory to God. And yes, the water and the comics and the restrooms were free. Why? It's our gift to the community. Radical love. Thank you, Pastor. First is worship. Second essential, doing good. Now, I thought about this doing good. John Wesley, who was the founder of the Methodist movement in the 1700s, the 1700s, decided to make it really easy for those of us who were Methodist. So he gave us a method called the general rules. And I know you know this if you're Methodist. Uh, the general rules are powerful in, a, in our life and really need to be a part of the DNA of any Methodist. And here's, they're easy. There's three of them. Easy to remember. Do no harm. Do good. And the contemporary folks say, stay in love with God. Attend to the ordinances of God. Attend to the laws of God. Do no harm first. Do good. Stay in love with God. All of us can remember that. And all of us can practice that. And here's some of the things that John Wesley said. By doing good, we're staying close to God. It's very much like you're doing all right. Be merciful doing good of every possible sort to all people, he said. Giving food to the hungry and clothing the naked and visiting those that are in sick and in prison by instructing, reproving, exhorting. That's what the church does. We hold each other accountable and we learn from one another. By supporting one another in the household of faith, by giving employment to those who are unemployed, by, by helping those in their businesses, by practicing diligence and frugality in our living so that we are free to share the gospel of Christ in the world. And by running with, with patience the race that is set before us, taking up our cross daily and following Christ. Powerful words from the 1700s all the way beyond us today. And the third essential, worship is the first, second is do good. The third essential, share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. I sat in on a meeting last week here at the church. And the church members there are opening up their spirits to share the property that the church owns here in Atlanta with our community. And they're exploring this process of what would it take to be God people, God's people, who share space, like a parking lot, to build affordable and attainable housing for our neighbors. That's sharing. <laughs> Praise God. And it's a challenge. And each of you has opened to this. Will the sanctuary be here? You bet. Because all those people need a place to come and seek this hospitality that the church offers. But the other space, if God wants it, if God is working for it, the whole, so many hurdles have to be jumped before this will happen that it's God-sized. And that's scary, but it's also 
wonderful and glorious to think about it. You ought to get goosebumps when you talk with people about it. Hey, I heard your church might be selling your parking lot to build some high-rise. Oh, I get goosebumps. Let me tell you about it. This is how God is working in our neighborhood. Sacrifice that's pleasing to God. Sharing good works, the author says, are sacrifices pleasing to God. Sharing in good works. This is powerful. I've thought about one of my uh, favorite verses in the book of Romans. What is a sacrifice pleasing to God? And this is what Paul writes in the 12th chapter of Romans. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. It's right in line with Hebrews here. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So our sacrifice is not just giving, it's giving and living. We are body sacrifices individually and the body of Christ. So here we are to worship God, to do good, and to share what we have. That, my friends, is radical love and a living sacrifice that's pleasing to our God. To God be the glory. Let us pray. Oh God, thank you that sometimes you ask us to dive deep and it's scary and it's radical but you've given us the means, the fellowship and the Holy Spirit to attempt great things for you. And so lead us in these days ahead to be more like your people in every way that Christ will be our example in this radical hospitality that we practice and live out as a sacrifice pleasing to you. And may the very first one, this radical mutual love, be exposed for what it is in our life, your love, your transformation of our spirits, and your radical love for each and every one of us. Give us courage and faith and hope, for we ask in Christ's name, Amen.